Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in the middle of a series that we have entitled Bewitched. Now, I don't know. I just said new people. Anybody new is like, what the heck? (laughs) I love these sermon titles where you're like, I'm sorry, what? What was that? Don't worry. I'm going to explain that in a minute because that just feels really awkward if you don't know what's going on. But I do have to point out these awesome little lights. Give it up for a production team. Just all the little, it's about the details, people. Oh, no. Through this series, we have been studying the book of Galatians. This is a short letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Galatia. And he wrote to them because there was a bit of a theological crisis that this church found themselves in. So I'm now going to get right to our main text so I can explain what that is, uh, what this title is if you're new here. Um, This is out of Galatians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, great, open it up. If not, it'll be up here on the screen says this, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Anybody ever gotten an email with that being like the opening of it? Maybe from an angry superior? No? Okay. Well, Paul goes on to say, he says, for the meaning, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? See, this church in Galatia had been established on the gospel of grace, that it is by grace you have been saved through faith alone. Yet there was a group of Jewish people within this community that came and they started to, um, what Paul calls, pervert the gospel of grace. So Paul wrote to this church to remind them that their church had been formed on the true gospel of grace. And I love the way that Paul uses this language and how he speaks to this church. I know Paul didn't have biological children, but to me, Paul sounds a little bit like a father. And not just because he loved this group of people and not just because he was telling the truth, but because he was repeating himself. How many parents find themselves saying the same thing over and over and over to your children? We seem to repeat ourselves with our kids and not just repeat ourselves, but sometimes we tell our kids the same things from different angles in different ways. And you may have felt for the first four weeks of this series, if you've been with us for a bit, that we have talked about the same thing. We've been redundant in our speech. But don't worry, we're just following the Apostle Paul and reminding ourselves that we are only saved by grace alone. Now, last week, as Amy mentioned, we diverted from this topic of grace and we moved over to the topic of freedom. And I love that Jesus went to the cross and didn't just save us by grace, but he also afforded us freedom on the cross. Oh, 
It's been amazing to hear the stories of people's lives. And I know God's not done freeing us. He's started a work this last weekend. Uh, so please don't be shy about that. Share what God's doing in your life. As your family, we wanna celebrate with you. Well, today we are going to go back over to chapter three. We were in chapter five this last week, but we are also going to move back over to this topic of the difference between the law and grace. So if you're taking notes today, you do that sort of thing. You can title this message, All In, All In. Pray with me today as we jump in. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that we don't just go through the motions. We don't show up on Sunday because we just do church. We come because we believe that your word has the power to change us. So I invite you to use me with this voice on this microphone, but mostly use your word to come and speak to our hearts today. We love you, Jesus. We open up our hearts uh, for you to speak in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So Paul's... Paul started this uh, phrase out in Galatians and tells us, tells the church, hey, you need to get back to grace. And I wanna move a little bit further down in chapter three. We're gonna start in verse 23, and this is our main text for today. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way, Paul says. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he ends it in verse 27 and says this, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Now, I find that last sentence that Paul uses here a bit peculiar. This phrase and language that he uses of putting on Christ. I find it a bit odd because it isn't how we or even Paul usually talks about accepting Christ. And when we talk about accepting Christ and when we read and understand the narrative of scripture, the narrative of scripture says that Christ is something, is someone that we invite on the inside. We invite Christ in, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within. And then it's out of inviting him in that we're changed from the inside out. So why does Paul use this phrase, putting on Christ? Well, before Paul made that statement, he reminded us in verse 23 what the law really was. It says that before there was faith, there was the law, and it acted as a guardian. See, the law was all about putting something on putting on a certain ritual, putting on a certain performance of, hey, I have to perform this ritual, I have to do this thing. In fact, the Jewish people also had to literally put on certain item, uh, items and articles of clothing. They had to be very specific. So a Jewish person, you would find, they would put on a specific type of cloak made out of a certain type of material. And at the bottom of this cloak, there should be this ritualistic fringe that hangs off the bottom. They also would put on a specific head covering. 
In addition to that, they put on something called a telephone, which is a leather box that they would take and literally strap it to their forehead. Like, literally, like just think about that for a moment. Schwagging around, little leather box in front of your forehead. But inside, it contains specific prayers that they wanted to keep close to their mind. They put on different rituals, one of them being circumcision. I guess you don't really put on circumcision as much as you cut off something. Sorry, guys. Sorry. But all of this was done for a specific purpose. It was done to be accepted by God. It'd be like me saying, hey, if you just stick on some of this Christian paraphernalia, then you'd be accepted by God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this out. All right, you get a what would Jesus do bracelet. Good, good. Put that on. Uh, your, your Jesus graphic tee. Yeah, the, not of this world. Just go ahead and put that on. Or maybe that's not your thing. You're more of a Proverbs 31 woman. Or, or maybe you're an FBI agent, a firm believer in Christ. That's the shirt you'd wear. Shall I go on? Daughter of the most king, of the most high God. Jesus in tacos. Honestly, never got that one. Uh, or maybe your graphic T says, belong first. Hey, become family. And if you're going to wear the shirt, then you might as well grab the sweatshirt too because it's cold outside. And if you're going to put that TFH sweatshirt on, then you need the sweatpants to match, duh. And then throw in a new green ball cap and you are set. So you've got your entire getup. Now, we know that putting on these things doesn't make us right with Christ. If it did, how awesome would that be, guys? I mean, Dom, who designed all of our gear, like he'd be working round the clock. And we wouldn't just have t-shirts and sweatshirts. We would have TFH underwear. We would cover you from head to toe. We'd be distributing it all through the land so that everyone would be made right with Jesus. Uh, we know that that's not the case. See, the idea of putting on Christ is an odd one, unless, of course, putting on Christ is the replacement that's required for any external thing that we might do to be made right with God. So what does this mean by putting on Christ here in verse 27? Paul suggests that it isn't something we need to put on, but it's someone we need to put on. So unlike the law where we attempt to put on good behavior to be accepted by Christ, we put our faith in his, his grace alone. And in so doing, we put on Christ. So I wanna take a few moments to break this down, what it means to put on Christ. Because Paul isn't talking about Christian paraphernalia here. He isn't talking about your TFH merch that you need to put on. Instead, Paul is talking about immersion. He's talking about baptism. Not a sprinkling and not mostly covered, but fully immersed in Christ. Paul says over in Romans chapter 3, 14, he says this, instead, fully immerse yourselves in the Lord, the anointed one. So there's something significant about being fully immersed in Christ, according to Paul. When I was a young pastor back at the church that we used to serve at, 
uh, I got asked to help out on the baptism team one Sunday. And shout out to anybody who's on the baptism. They were all here first service. It's cool. Join the baptism team. It's a fun one to, to serve on. But I was a part of this team, and uh, we, we baptized people pretty similarly to how we baptize them here. Happened in the middle of the worship set. But instead of there being an atrium or another space that someone's baptized in, they were here smack dab in the middle of the stage. And as somebody, you know, you always get that like aggressive baptizer, like my husband, and they bring them down, and when they bring them down, and if it was like a taller person, all the water would spill out and like, what are those petals? Those petals, Carlos? Yeah, like they'd splash on the petals and you're like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? But it was so fun. We would see people get baptized in the middle of the worship, but something different that we did was because they were on the stage, they then had to walk off the stage. And we found that these people getting baptized and they, they just went from death to life. Like it is cause for celebration. But we realized they were walking into a dark backstage room. So we developed something, which was a part of the baptism team where there would be like a welcoming committee where we would stand in the green room off stage and when they would come out we would celebrate with them we would pray for them sometimes we prophesy over them it was just a fun team to be a part of well I was used to seeing people come backstage after getting baptized smiling from ear to ear or sometimes crying happy tears and it was this amazing moment to celebrate with them but on this particular Sunday that I was serving, the woman that got baptized came to the backstage and she was crying, but these were not happy tears. She looked at me through tears and sobbing and said, I wasn't fully immersed. I wanna give Christ everything, especially my mind. And I'm like, what is she talking about? Girl, you just got baptized. But as I looked at her, I realized that this part of her head was dry. And she had some of those like swoopy bangs. No, just dry. Mascara, not running. No, she was completely dry right here. Well, baptism malfunction, it happens. It's like a, an art form to properly baptize someone. It's pretty impressive. So she's looking at me for answers. And I wanted to respond with like, yo, I just started. Like, I haven't read the pastoral handbook on baptism malfunctions yet. Like, I'm not sure what to do here. So she's standing there staring at me and I'm thinking like, okay, what do we do? What do we, what do, we do, Pastor Robin? Like, you, know, you should know what to do, right? And I'm thinking, okay, maybe we could march her back. No, we can't go back out to the stage. They're in the third song now. And I'm gonna confuse everyone. Like, new person in the room, unbelievers that are like, so I get baptized twice? Is that how it works? Or I can't make her stay in her wet clothes and be freezing and wait till the end of the service. What do I do? Well, while I'm trying to think of a solution, she points behind me and says, there, let's use that. And she pointed to the makeshift kitchen we had behind us in a sink. And I'm like, done, let's do it. So me and a friend walk over to the sink and I kind of felt like we were teenagers standing there and you, you wash your friend's hair in the sink or like give them highlights and we dipped her back, turned the faucet on full blast and submerged the rest of her head in water. It was beautiful. But I love this woman wasn't content until she was completely immersed. She wasn't content until she had all of her self covered. And like that woman, 
I wonder if there's some people in the room this morning that have their foreheads sticking up out of the water, so to speak. Or someone who might say, hey, I've been baptized. I've been fully immersed in water, but my life still isn't fully immersed in Christ. There's some parts of my life that I've intentionally left outside of the waters. I told you a story about a woman but I want to tell you a story about a man from the Bible out of, cha- uh, out of Acts chapter 8 that I think backs up this thought. Uh, the apostles in the church had been scattered, and in Acts chapter 8, the apostle Philip goes to Samaria. He flees where they were at, and he goes and he thought, okay, well, I can preach the gospel here. So he brings the message of grace, that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God, and he came to the earth to die for your sins. He is Messiah. Come and follow him. He preaches to this this group of people, and there was a man named Simon that responds to the message, and he doesn't just believe, but he gets baptized. Now, Simon was a magician by trade. That's who he was. And it says that immediately after Simon got baptized, he left his life of being a magician and he began to follow the apostle Philip in his ministry. Now, fast forward a little bit of time, and two more apostles come to this region to preach and teach and build up these Christians. And when they get there, they realize that this group of believers had been baptized in water, but they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John begin laying their hands on them, and they pray for them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Philip, or sorry, Simon was there at the time. And Simon sees what's happening. But instead of coming and saying, would you pray for me? Would you fill me? Would God fill me through the laying on of your hands? He tries to buy what he calls this power. He comes to Peter and he offers him money. And he says, hey, how can I buy that power? I want to do that too. I want to get the power in my hands so I can lay my hands on people. And if you know anything about Peter, you know in that moment, he rebuked him. Not only did he rebuke Simon, but he pointed out to Simon that he hadn't fully surrendered his whole life to Jesus when he went down in the waters of baptism. He points out the sin in his life, the things that were unsurrendered. And Simon may have walked away from his profession as a magician, but he hadn't walked away in his heart. He hadn't fully surrendered that part of him in the waters of baptism saying, Christ, I give you everything. Now, there's probably some Simons in the room today. Maybe not magicians. Although I heard there's one magician in our community, which is kind of fun. But you're kind of like Simon. You haven't fully surrendered everything to Christ. Well, rather than talk about it more, you guys know that we are, in fact, the church of props. So I want to invite Tim and Smarty. Will you help him out? Will you guys come grab this for me? Give it up for them as they come. In fact, Tim spent about three hours on Friday trying to find one of these for me, which is a lot of time to spend on a a prop. But here's the deal, people. We are committed to our props. I got another one for you. This is a pretty exciting one. Uh Uh-oh, she's got a knife. (laughs) This is 
is my favorite prop here at the Masonic Temple. Thank you so much, men on the walls. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me borrow this. There's uh, a story that I've heard about 14, in, in uh, the 1400s, there was a group called the Knights of Templar. And the Knights of Templar were asked to guard Solomon's temple. But before they could guard Solomon's temple, the church said they had to be converted to Christianity and that meant baptism. So before they went out to guard this, they, uh, they got baptized, they converted, and maybe some of you remember this story. Tim has preached a message on it called Swords Out of Water. And I'm repeating this story this morning because I think that is such a powerful picture and visual for what it looks like to not live fully immersed in Christ. So these, um, these knights, take off the shoes here, that's what they did. They slipped off their, their leopard print flats. And they got into the water of baptism, but they took their sword with them. But instead of just taking their sword with them, what they did, they had a practice where when they went down in the water of baptism, can I do this? Tim said, you need the six foot tank. I said, I'll be fine with the four. (laughs) These soldiers would take their sword and as they were baptized, they would hold it up out of the water, signifying God, you can have most of me, but you can't have this. See, the soldiers knew who they wanted to be on the battlefield and they knew what they wanted to do with this. So they said, you can have most of my life, but I'm holding this back. My guess is that in the room today, it's not a sword that maybe you're holding outside of the water. But if it's not a sword, then what is it? Just gonna take this and put it down. It's a very heavy prop indeed. Guess what, you know, brought this here tank up here, got my sword. Of course I have more props in this tank. You, just you wait. Because maybe it's not a sword that you're holding, but instead, maybe it's, ouch. A Kindle. Hi, everyone. Do you see my perfect man bun? I'm the 21st century Kindle. He's a bit skinnier. I think he's a barista. That's my guess. No offense. I'm sure there's a buff barista out there. I apologize. <laughs> How long do I just keep him here? It's really funny not being able to see you. If I was really nervous, I'd just stay in here the whole time. But maybe your sword looks like a relationship and you say, Jesus, I'm gonna give you my life. Well, most of my life, but not this. Jesus, I know that my boyfriend doesn't believe in you. I know he doesn't come to church with me. I know he hasn't surrendered his life to you. And I also know that we're sleeping together. But I mean, you don't mean that whole like covenant and unequally yoked thing, right? I mean, Jesus, I serve at church. I am in a group. I even give some of my money towards outreach. So Jesus, you could have most of me, but you can't have this. 
Maybe it's not a relationship for you. Instead, it's a calendar. My time, my agenda, my plans. Jesus, you can have most of me. And I know your word says that you have plans for me and they're good, they're pleasing, they're perfect. But listen up, listen up. I have a really solid plan, Jesus. Hear me out, hear me out. Okay, I've been working on this for a couple months now. So I'm gonna stay at this current job for six more months, okay? But then I'm a ladder roll over to another company where I can make a little bit more money. But here's the perk, God, I get to stay remote. I don't have to see people. Uh-huh, doesn't that sound good? And then I was looking online, dude, there's some solid Airbnbs I can get up in Tahoe. I'm thinking of going up there, working remote for a couple of months. I might move to New York later in the year. God, you can have most of me, but I get to choose what my time looks like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and leave this one out. Maybe it's not just your calendar, but maybe it's this. Tithing, what? You want, what? Jesus, Jesus, part of my calendar plan has to do with my future. I've been building up a solid retirement. Whoa, whoa, it almost got in the water. Better hold it up high. Be careful there. Oh, Jesus, you can have most of me, but you can't have this. Or maybe it doesn't look like that. It looks like this. I'm not talking about like having a drink with dinner. I'm talking about finishing the bottle. Instead of just a glass of whiskey, it's the whole thing. Or maybe yours doesn't look like this. Maybe it's a smaller bottle. It's plastic and it has pills inside. Or maybe it's just a little bit of a <sighs> getting quiet in church today. Jesus, you can have most of me, but you can't have this. I know that your word offers me peace. But Jesus, sometimes I need more than peace. Sometimes I just need to escape life. Jesus, you know me. If you see everything, then you've seen my life. You've seen my childhood and what I've been through and you know that sometimes at the end of the day, a rough day, thinking about my past, I just, Jesus, you can have most of me, but let me have my escape. Maybe it's not these, maybe instead it's your identity. Maybe it's your sexuality. Or maybe you look like my friend who got baptized and all of her went into the water except for her forehead. But instead of that being an accident, it's intentional for you. You say, Jesus, you can have most of me, but you can't have my mind. And this is how you look. I know that the Bible invites me to have the mind of Christ, but I'm too busy listening to the minds of this world. And they've told me, I can dabble and have some of the perks of knowing Jesus, but you can't have all of me. Friends, this morning what I want us to get 
Is it a life that's lived unsubmerged? Is it a life that's lived unsurrendered? Because what I've come to know about following after Jesus is that when it comes to following him, you're either all in or you're all out. There's no in between. There's a famous line that a lot of preachers use. It's a popular one to say because it sounds good. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Heard that before. But the reason preachers say that is because it is in fact the truth. He's either Lord of your life or he's not at all. And the reason that Paul called this group of believers in Galatia bewitched is because they thought they were allowed to keep certain things held back, certain things held outside of the water, unsubmerged and unsurrendered to Christ. Yet they still wanted to call themselves people of faith. Yes, surrender is a lifelong journey. Don't get me wrong, it most certainly is. We are always going from faith to faith and glory to glory. But we need to know today that if we are intentionally and willfully holding things back from Christ out of the water, then he's not truly our Lord. When the Apostle Paul was writing to this group of Galatians, when he's writing them this letter, we have to remind ourselves that when he was appealing to them to say, put on Christ, put on Christ, would you just completely put on Christ? He wasn't telling them to do something that he was unwilling to do. Because before Paul was a zealous apostle for Jesus, he was first a zealous hater of Jesus. Paul had his own plan he had his own mission, and it was completely in opposition of the gospel. But then what happened? On the road to Damascus, Jesus encountered Paul. And Paul finally saw that Jesus is who he says he is. He is, in fact, Messiah. But Paul didn't just believe who Jesus was. It says that three days later, when the scales fell off of his eyes, that immediately he was baptized. And when he was baptized and completely immersed in water, Paul completely immersed his life in Jesus. And he said, forget my plans, forget what I was heading towards. I'm gonna turn around and I'm going to give myself completely to you. And as it was for Paul, it is for us today. See, God's not asking you to put on a show. He's not asking us to kind of change an external performance in attempt to look right with God. Instead, he's simply asking us, put on Christ. Put on me. Be fully immersed in me. Take everything. Take the relationship. Take the money, take the plan, take this bag that I just held up with lots of things in it, take it all. Don't take your things and hold them out of the water and say, I'll give you some, but I'm not giving you all. He says, would you give it to me completely? Would you fully immerse your life in me?
So what does that look like for you today? We have to ask ourselves, are we somewhat submerged? Are we partially surrendered? Or have we fully immersed ourselves in Christ? Band, you guys can come as we close today. And as they come, I wanna make this a bit more personal. I wish that my story looked a little bit like Paul's story. I mean, maybe not the whole cult, like killing Christians part and probably not the blindness and the scales. I'm like, what do those look like? That grosses me out. But I wish that my story was a little bit like Paul's in that when Paul first believed, he dove all in. But that's not my story. I believed that Jesus was who he said he was. When I heard the gospel, I'm like, that's it. I didn't have a doubt that Jesus came to the earth to die for my sins, that he went to the cross for me. I didn't have doubt that this was the plan of heaven, the whole rescue mission of heaven for God to bring us close to him. I believed Do you know that even the demons believe? See, Jesus didn't just want my belief, he wanted my surrender. But for years, I held back. I wanted my own plans for my life. I wanted my own agenda and where I wanted to head and what I wanted to do. I wanted to keep some of my own habits I wanted to keep my own sexuality. I wanted it all. But there came a point for me that I finally realized if I wanted to have all of Jesus, that meant he needed to have all of me. No longer could I just live in this place where I said, you know what? I'm gonna pick and choose what I surrender to you. But if I wanted all of him, all of his love, all of his goodness, all of his mercy, all of his grace, then I needed to give him all of me. Listen, we don't do church so we can say we did it, okay? Last weekend, a whole bunch of people responded and got free. We don't come here to sing songs and laugh a little and hear an encouraging word and then leave. I believe we come to church to do business. And as I've been praying this week, I feel like there has been some people in the room that have lived a life believing but unsurrendered. And Jesus wants to invite you to come and throw everything in this galvanized tank up here. Give it all. So what does that look like practically? Really practically, some of you in the room who haven't yet gone down into the waters of baptism, that's your next step as we say. Some of you need to go down into the waters of baptism. Listen, we don't separate where it says repent and be baptized. That is one sentence in the word of God. Repent and then be baptized. Don't repent and hesitate and try and figure it out and find the list of ways and go through the 10 step class. No, repent and take all the stuff, take all the things that you wanna give Jesus and bring it all in here, fully submerged. He wants you to bring it all to him. And the promise of his word, it says in Romans six, it speaks of when we go down into the waters of baptism, we join him in his death. 
That means that everything that you don't wanna take out of here, everything that you've been struggling with and trying to figure out on your own, He says, bring it to me. Because the beautiful thing is that when you are raised up out of those waters, you're raised to new life, but some of that death will stay down in the grave. It'll stay down in the tank. You don't have to take it out with you. And I speak to those who are in that space of hesitation. Come on, would you just take that next step? Give Him everything. I believe He's been calling and inviting you to, let's not hold back in this. I don't care if you do it on a screen, we do it in literally a little mini pool. You do it between services. You do it in your small group leader's bathtub. Come on, let's follow through and let's give Him all. And then the other response today, which we're gonna pray in a moment, and I wanna have a moment of response. Some of you in the room have been water baptized. Your life looks like Simon we talked about from Acts chapter eight, where you have fully immersed yourself in the water, but maybe you haven't fully immersed yourself in Christ. And as I was talking, and holding these different items up and holding this sword up, you know what it is that's unsurrendered inside your heart. The things that you haven't handed over to Jesus. You know, sometimes, or most of the time, the hardest things to surrender have the most potential at keeping us furthest from Christ. I believe today we have an opportunity to get those things, get the things in our life that aren't surrendered and bring them to his feet today, shall we? Um, will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the invitation to put on you, to put on Christ. Jesus, we want all of you. And right now in this room, we make a decision to give you all of us. Give you everything that we've been holding back, everything that we've been carrying for years on our own, every sword we've been holding up out of the water right now. I just want you, if you wanna to respond to this, just take that thing that you know you've been holding back that you need to surrender to Him. I want you to take it and I just want you to imagine it being thrown in this this galvanized tin up here in the pool, the, the pool over in the atrium and just throw it in and say, you can have that too. I don't want you to have part of me. I don't want you to have most of me, but right now I take these things that have laid unsurrender and I throw them at your feet, Jesus. Would you take this too? And just as a sign of surrender as we do in worship, we lift up our hands in worship it's a, it's a sign that we are surrendered to Him. Would you be so bold right now if you just surrendered something to Him? Would you lift your hands up and say, I'm not holding on to it any longer? Just lift them up to Jesus and say, I hand you this today, come on. Father, thank you for every single person in this room that has handed you this. We give it to you now. We say it's yours. I don't wanna hang on to it any longer, but I hand it over in Jesus' name right now with our heads still bowed. Maybe for you in the room, you'd say, the thing that I need to surrender is my entire life. I've been walking without Christ for a long time, or I've been, I've called myself a believer, but I know I haven't been following Him. 
I want to invite you today. The most important decision you'll ever make is turning your life over. The Bible says repent. It means that I'm going to turn away from the life I've been walking in and I'm going to choose to follow after Jesus. Today, if you're far from God and you don't want to be any longer, I just want you to be so bold. And would you lift your hand towards heaven and say, Jesus, today I choose to give you my life. Come on. I see you over there, right there in the center, in the back. Amen. Amen. Come Right now, would you pray this prayer with me? It's not in the eloquence of your word. It's just in the the posture of your heart and say, Jesus, I give you everything. I surrender my entire life to you. I give it all. I lay it at your feet and I believe that you are Lord, but I don't just believe you are who you say you are. I make a decision today to follow after you. Would you come into my life. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and would you lead me? Make me your disciple and I choose to walk in your ways from this moment forward until I see you in heaven face to face. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, can we give it up for everybody that made that decision today? Woo! Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, We want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.